great to be with you and great uh, to have you here at King's today. Uh, I'm going to speak for about the next 30 minutes, so if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 55. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, all the words are going to come up on the screen. And we're going to jump straight in at verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Well, I want to begin today by asking you a question. I think it's a question you are going to like. And the question is this, what is the best meal you can ever remember having? Okay, I want you to think about that. Turn to the person next to you and just have a little chat and tell them what was the best meal you ever had. Okay, you can go. Okay, you can come back to me. You can just stop your chat just for a minute. Okay, I, I thought that would stir some conversation because the reason is because we love food, don't we? Now, there are lots of other interests. You know, some of us love sport. Others of us, you know, love TV. Others, you know, you're interested in politics. All sorts of interests and enjoyments and hobbies. But when it comes to food, pretty much everybody is interested. We love food. How many of you love to cook food? Excellent. You, you just love creating and providing and being hospitable and inviting people. How many of you here love to eat food? You can stick your hand in the air. Excellent. Now look around the room. Those of you who love to cook for food, you know, cook food and provide. Those of you who love to eat food, you should get together. You should be in the same group probably and uh, spend some time together. And uh, when you read a passage like this in Isaiah 55, the picture the Bible is giving us of what it is like to come to God if you like to know him and to relate to him, is the picture of an amazing meal to which you and I are invited. Now, I think this is really interesting. The reason it's interesting is that very often in the world, and sometimes, if you like, even in churches themselves, the idea of faith, of Christianity, of following Jesus, is not presented often as an amazing invite, but often more as a a kind of an obligation or it comes of a sense of duty. An obligation or duty is something we, if you like, ought to do. It might be something we think is basically a good thing to do, but it is something we don't necessarily always desire to do. It's a bit like if you have to take medicine. We know medicine is supposed to be good for us, but it's not necessarily pleasant. Certainly as a kid, I remember being given medicine and it often seemed to have been designed by someone who was going to make it the most unpleasant uh, experience possible. It seems to have changed a little bit these days. I don't know if you um, can ever relate to this, but if you get invited to dinner at someone's house and you, you, know, you have a nice evening and, and you drive home, what is it you feel you ought to do? Well, we feel we ought to invite them back, don't we? We feel obliged to. Now, you may or may not want to invite them back, but you do feel obliged to do that. I'm not going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and and confess whether you felt like that about them when they invited you. But we know what it's like to feel obliged. 
Obligation often comes with a sense of restriction or even sometimes a sense of repayment. And in the world, that is often how the Christian faith is perceived or even explained. It's as if it's about, about being good and you know, trying to live a certain moral code. Now there is in the Christian faith a sense of morality, but that's not fundamentally what it's all about. But we, it gets perceived and explained that way, as if somehow I've got to try and be good, as if I'm trying to placate God or even pay him back. And if we're honest, that kind of approach can seep sometimes even into our own faith. It's very easy, isn't it, uh, for, as a believer, for it to become not a sense of invite or opportunity, but actually for our faith to become a sense of obligation. That our faith, our following, our attempts to live a certain way, even if you like coming to church, can basically become a, a form of repayment of duty. We feel that because God has been good to us, we feel obliged to try and be good back. And underneath it all, fully blown, can become a sense of trying to earn God's favor or even to avoid his displeasure. And if you haven't discovered this yet, when it comes to faith, obligation is a very unhappy word to live under. It lacks power to help us to do the things we should, to be the kind of person we want to grow into being. There is very little joy in obligation. And it's not the picture we get here in Isaiah. And it's not the gospel the way that Jesus explains it. The gospel, actually rightly understood, is not an obligation, but actually is an invitation. Matthew 11, Jesus says these famous words. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In John 7, Jesus says these words. On the final day of a great festival, he stood up and says this. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, God is saying, try me, find out how good I am. And then in Isaiah 55, we read these words, which we've just read. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. All you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. This, if you like, is the gospel message. Rightly understood, the gospel is an amazing Opportunity. It is, if you like, the great invitation. And this invitation that you read of all throughout the Gospels and here in Isaiah 55 is an invitation to everyone. Now, I suspect in the room today, all of us or different ones of us have been in that situation where there's been something going on, some kind of gathering or some group that you would like to be part of that you never quite got invited into, something, a team you never got picked for at school, or something you weren't included into, or something where we didn't get the invite. When I think about this, I often think about uh, traveling on airplanes. If you've ever traveled on an airplane, you'll know that there are different classes in, in airplanes, and I want you to know that I have never traveled first class or business class, only ever economy, okay? Now, I don't have a big problem with this, although you may decide that by the end of this, I really do have a big problem with this. But basically, the thing I do have a problem with when you travel economy is not actually traveling economy, but it's more the fact that in order to find your seat, they take you through the airplane past, I think it's business. Is it business? 
They, they, they parade you through, don't they? Pass business class to your chest. Now, there must be, surely, another way to get you onto the airplane. But, oh, no, they bring you through. All the business class people are already there, by the way. They're already there. They're lounging on their big chairs, showing you just how much legroom they have. And, and they're trying on those blindfold things and sipping champagne, even though it's only 10 in the morning, and discarding the caviar they decided they didn't want. And, and you walk past them. They don't make eye contact with you, partly because they're trying their blindfold things on. And, and you're paraded through, seeing what you could have won, back to the cheap seats with, the kind of, with no leg room and, and your kind of plastic knives and forks. And you think, if only when I checked in, if only they'd upgraded me, if only they'd invited me into business. But it never happens. Well, this invite that you read of in Isaiah 55, the invite that Jesus talks about in all those passages, is not for the exclusive few. This invite is radically inclusive. It is regardless, if you like, of background, of upbringing, of class, of financial situations or security, of career track record, of your ethnicity. It's like it is for everyone. In fact, it is shockingly inclusive, actually. If you read in the Gospels, Jesus invites the tax collector, the lepers, the prostitutes. Jesus intentionally seems to go after everybody that the rest of society says should absolutely be excluded because of the way they are and intentionally includes them. In other words, it makes no difference whether you're from the police, from prison, whether you're a primary school teacher or the Pope. The invite is for everyone, and the invite includes everyone who you think shouldn't be allowed to approach God, and that's why it includes you and me. And the only qualification Isaiah says to us in this passage, the only qualification you need to have to be allowed to approach God, to come to him, is you need to be thirsty. You need to be hungry. That's what you bring. The, the picture of thirst and hunger is not about physical thirst or physical hunger. It is, if you like, a spiritual thirst and hunger. It's a picture, if you like, of need. We need, to bring, we need to be aware that we have need. We have, it's a picture of emptiness. It's a picture of brokenness, of our own ineffectiveness to deal with and sort our own issues. So Isaiah says, Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Now, when you first read these verses, actually they seem a little confusing if you, if you look at them closely. Because in one moment Isaiah is saying, you know, if you have no money, come. And then he says, why do you spend money on what doesn't satisfy you? So it's like, are you, which one is he saying? If you have no money, come. But if you have money, why are you spending on things that don't satisfy you? What's he trying to say? Well, I think Isaiah is saying there are two kind of categories of people when it comes to soul thirst and soul hunger. And the invite is to everyone, regardless of which one you are. The invite is to everyone because everyone, if you like, is thirsty. Everyone carries within them a deep soul thirst and hunger for something that will satisfy and fulfill them. And he's saying, well, look, some of us get to the point where we realize we've run out of resources. We, we've run out of options. We are, if you like, at the end of ourselves. We have, like Isaiah says, no money. We're kind of getting to the point where he says, I give up. I can't do this. I cannot sort this issue out. I can't find anything that satisfies me. And that's one group. Others of us, Isaiah is saying, 
you, you're still trying to buy it. You're still trying to earn it. You're still chasing it. You're still dreaming. You're looking around, laboring for it, trying to find the answer. We will look everywhere to try and be satisfied. I heard this story once of, of uh, a young man who wanted to propose to his girlfriend. And he said this, sweetheart, I know I'm not wealthy like Tom, uh, our friend Tom, or handsome like our friend Tom, or as well-educated as Tom, but, but I do love you, and I, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And his girlfriend said, you know, John, I love you too, John, but I'd really like to hear more about this Tom. <laughs> That's what we're like. We're never quite satisfied, and we, we try and quench this deep soul thirst. We will, we will chase almost everything if we think it's going to give us what we are really after, and that's what we give our lives to. We, we live in a world that does that. It can be money. We can chase money. We can, it could be profile or relationships or sex or power or approval or pretty much anything that we think if we have a little bit more of that, then I'm going to be more full. I'll be fulfilled. I'll arrive. I'll be okay. And you can tell if you are doing this, if inside of yourself you are saying just a bit more. If I just earn a bit more. If I just have this kind of relationship rather than this one. Maybe if I just get this kind of house rather than the flat I live in. Or maybe if I became known in those circles. Or maybe if I qualify to that level. If I get a little higher up the ladder, which whatever the ladder is, then I will be satisfied. But we find, do we not, that no matter how high up the ladder we climb, no matter how much more we have, it is never more enough. And we carry within ourselves this sense of dissatisfaction, this sense of thirst, this sense of hunger. And God says to us in Isaiah 55, if that is you, if that is what you have, then you are qualified to come. That's what you bring, if you like. You bring to him your hunger. And the offer in Isaiah 55, the invitation, if you like, is to come and be satisfied. Come, buy, and eat without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. When you get two words like that together, it's like, listen and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. When you are most thirsty, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation when you're really, really thirsty. What is it you most want to drink? Now, the answer is not beer, okay? Of course, it's water, isn't it? I, I had a friend of mine who I got to know over a few years on holiday, and he was a really, really good athlete, and I made the mistake once of going for a run with him, which I decided not to do again. He was training for um, a marathon. He'd done lots of marathons, but he was training for quite an unusual marathon at the time, which takes place every September in Bordeaux in the south of France. And this marathon is unusual for two reasons. Firstly, everybody who runs in it has to wear fancy dress, which I guess is not that unusual. You see that in the London Marathon, don't you, and other marathons. 
But the second thing that is really unusual about it is over the 26-mile course, rather than having water stations, which I, they must have some, but basically the thing that's unusual about it is they have various, I think you run through vineyards, and so they have red wine and probably white wine, and definitely red wine as you drive and as you're running, and you're supposed to pick up red wine and drink it. And they also have like tables of food. So there's steak and cheese and oysters and foie gras and all these kind of like really nice foods. And as you run your 26 miles, you're supposed to stop and drink red wine and eat cheese and steak. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, this is the marathon for me. I've been waiting all my life for this kind of marathon. I'd be super fit and possibly fat if you did that kind of marathon. But if you really ran 26 miles in Bordeaux in September, where it's going to be pretty hot, what are you most going to want to eat or drink? You're most going to want to drink water. That's what you're going to want. That's what you're going to desire. That's what you're going to be desperate for. I remember when I was a kid, we, if we went out for a day, um, I, don't, I don't know whether it was just my parents never really took any water with us. I'm, I'm sure they did, but I always just remember getting incredibly thirsty. And we'd get back to the car after a whole day out on the beach or somewhere, and I remember just being desperate for water. And my dad used to keep in the back of the car this big five-liter bottle of water, which I'm sure was probably for filling up the radiator, the car radiator, or something like that. I'm sure it wasn't safe to drink, but we were so desperate. We would, me and my brothers would drink as much of this thing as possible because when you're thirsty, you want water. When you're hungry, what is it you most want? Now, I'm this to the bad illustration because immediately some of you are thinking, chocolate, I want chocolate, or, or, or fried chicken. But the Bible doesn't talk about chocolate or fried chicken, I'm afraid. If you have teenagers in your house, by the way, some point during the evening, they'll come downstairs and say, I'm really, really hungry. And it's always good fun to say, have some fruit. Because for some reason, whatever reason that is, that doesn't seem to satisfy them. What is it you really want when you're hungry? What do you want? You want something that will fulfill you. And in the Bible, the picture of bread is a picture of something which is going to nourish you and fulfill you. In fact, when you read the first three verses of Isaiah 55, God is offering us the picture of water, of wine, of milk, and bread. In other words, it's like water will quench you, milk's going to nourish you, wine will fill you with joy, and bread is this picture of something to sustain you. It's a picture, if you like, of incredible abundance. God is saying, I have everything you need. Like everything. You don't have to search anywhere else. I am the end to all your searching. Come to me and your deep soul searching will end. You are, if you like, invited. It is an incredible invitation. Something which is amazingly good. That's the invite. That's the picture Isaiah gives us of what it is like to come to him and to know him. Now, I suspect there will be those of us here today who are Christians. And for whatever reason, you've never really kind of really got this in your heart. You've never really kind of really got this into your way of thinking that this is what God is like. You believe, you believe in God, you've given your life to Jesus, but for whatever reason for you, faith and following Jesus is hard. It feels like a duty. It feels like something you are obliged to do. And when faith becomes like this, often it becomes for us about trying very hard. We're trying to keep certain rules, religious rules, some of which we construct for ourselves. We, you know, we need to show up. We need to give our money in a certain way, and we need to try and get to church on time. Thank goodness it doesn't depend on that one. And it becomes like an, ex- an exhausting, if you like, relentless obligation. We, we struggle, if we're honest, to get ourselves to act the way we think we ought to. 
But Jesus says to those of us who feel like that, says this in John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not offering you, offering you a restricted life. I'm not after or offering to you a life where you try and repay me or you try and placate me or you try and win my favor. Jesus is saying, I've come to offer you life at its very, very best. And that's what Isaiah 55 is saying. And that's what I believe for some of us today, God is wanting to say to you. God wants to change your way of thinking so that you understand he wants to invite you into a life with him. But maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. You're clear you haven't made that step yet where you've given your life to Jesus. And you have, if you like, questions of faith. And I want to say to you, if you're in that category, if, you're, if you know that's where you are, you are very welcome here. And I want to say to you that if Christianity is simply about rules, about it's a dead, dry religion that a bunch of people try to follow to make themselves feel better, and there's no real change or power or joy, if it is like that, then you should walk away. Just, you know, don't look any further. Don't investigate any further. But actually, if Jesus is real, if actually this isn't about rules, this is about a relationship with a person, that Jesus is truly offering, if you like, the opportunity, the doorway to a life where you get fulfillment and satisfaction, that this is an invitation, then surely this is worth investigating, finding out, asking questions. In Matthew 7, Jesus famously says these words, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. If you know that you're not a Christian, but you think, I need to find out, then the promise of the Bible is if you ask and if you knock and if you seek, he will come to you. I want to really encourage you to do that. But wherever, if you like, you are on your journey, wherever you are on this whole kind of faith journey, there is, if you like, a common denominator in Isaiah 55, something that he says we need to do. And that thing is that everybody, wherever you are, Isaiah 55 says, you need to come. You need to, if you like, take a step. You need to move. In fact, five times in three verses, Isaiah says, come. Come to me, come to me, come to me. In fact, everything hinges, if you like, on this. And Jesus says the same thing in the Gospels. Matthew 11, if you are weary, come. If you are thirsty, John 7, come. In other words, for me to know God, for me to experience him, to encounter him, everything hinges on whether I will step forward or not. Whether I will say to God, okay, I'll, I'll come to you. I'll take the step. I'll give you a chance. And when you read it and think about it, it sounds so simple, but actually it's probably the hardest part. It's probably the toughest part of these three verses. Because when we come to God, when we take the step, we are basically admitting two things. First of all, what we are saying to God is this. I admit I cannot do this on my own anymore. That I, I just don't have the answers. I've labored, I've strived, I've tried to buy what I most needed, I've tried to satisfy myself, I've really tried to kind of get there, but for whatever reason, it simply doesn't work. I just haven't arrived. And we're saying to him when we come to him, I don't have the answers. I'm not the answer. It's, a, it's, a, it's tough because it's a pride issue for us. The second thing we are admitting, and the second reason why it is tough to come to him, is because 
It's to do with control over our own destiny and our own lives. You see, we live in a culture, don't we, that says you've got to do your own thing. You know, if it feels good, just do it. And, and by the way, whatever you do, you know, do it your way. Be the master of your own destiny. Whatever you do, don't give control to someone else. Be in charge of your own destiny. Make your own choices. But when we come to God, when we respond to a word like this, when we say to God, okay, I'm going to come, I'm going to take you at your word, what we're saying to you is not only do I not have the answers myself, I've run out of my own ideas and my own resources. We are saying to him, I believe, God, that you are the answer, that Jesus, you are the answer. I recognize that you are the one who has the answers and that I don't, that I need to orientate my life around you. We're saying to him, I surrender. I, if you like, I bow the knee. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. You are the bread of life. And for some of us today, that's where we are. Some of us today, as we close, some of you are far away. You know God, and you have walked with him in the past, but right now you are far away. You're living like a divided life. There's no joy in there, by the way. Faith becomes something about obligation and duty, something you feel you ought to do. But there's no joy. And I believe God wants to break into your life today. He wants you to, he wants you to come home. He wants you to get right with him. He wants you to... To say to him, he wants you to enjoy everything he has for you, but you need to come to him. Others, if you like, today might be the first day you ever respond to God. You are at the end of yourself, and you've never responded to him before. You've never prayed a prayer to him before. You've never said to him, okay, I, I acknowledge I don't have the answers, and I believe you do. And today might be the first day that you pray a prayer like that, and you say yes to Jesus. Others of you, you're not there yet. You're clear that you're not sure yet, and that's fine. But you're thinking, I'm wondering about investigating. I want to ask some questions. I want to find out whether this is true. And we would really want to encourage you to take the step. Don't miss the moment to find out. So I'm going to close now in a moment. I want to close by praying. And as I pray, I'm going to read that scripture to you again. I want to read it over over you. And uh, I want you just to bow your heads as I read this, and then I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Come, all of you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why? Spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Jesus, we thank you for this amazing invitation. We know that there is a cost for us. As we surrender, we are bowing the knee, but we also know that what you offer us so outweighs the cost, that you offer us amazing grace. We thank you that you offer us the possibility of a soul which is satisfied, a life with purpose, a life where I get to know you and walk with you. And I want to ask you to help each one of us today to respond to your word and to take a step, whatever step that is today. I ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.